Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, Suba Agarwal, Suba, has written for Hulu's Plan B movie and Comedy Central's The Jim Jeffrey Show. You can see her late night debut on NBC's A Little Late with Lily Singh. She also appeared on HBO's Westworld. So check her out and True TV's sketch comedy, Friends of the People. She recently got married and we and I was there. I saw it. I danced. And we talk about it. Also welcome back, Noye Brown West. Noye, New York-based Nigerian-American comedian and writer. She has been featured in the Boston Globe's Rise column as a comic to watch, and we agree. As well, she was featured on NPR, PBS, ABC, Sway in the Morning, and the New York Comedy Festival. Noye made her acting debut in The Sympathy Card, streaming on Vudu, Apple, Amazon, and Google Play. This week, you can catch me headlining at the Vermont Comedy Club in Burlington, Vermont. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com, to get tickets. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's important. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast. And Twitter is friendslikeustin. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friendslikeus. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you we keep going. Thank you, TB, Stacy, Alethea. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recording live backstage. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick. My wacky friend, Dave Jeskow, we give updates to the show. We shout out fans who leave us reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to because it's not gone. Get vaccinated. Boost her up. And Black Lives Matter. Welcome to Friends Like Us. I'm here with Super A Girl. Hey. Oh, yeah. And Noye <laughs> Brown West. Now, both have some chemistry. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> both have some chemistry that you are not aware of. They both have had some very major cultural experience. This is something I was thinking, Reese, like as Noye, thank you for filling in at the last minute, by the way. No problem. Always a gem. My uncle loves Noye, by the way. Noye is like family now. Dr. Merrill. <laughs> Every Sunday, Noye comes, or when we have our stock, we do stock class. We're learning how to invest properly. Oh, cool! You're welcome to join <laughs> anytime. But I'm. I always assume that you you're so like you know high end. <laughs> <No. Suga. laughs> I know a little bit. I don't know a ton, but I don't like to do the extra stuff because when you get fancy, that's just gambling. I'm like, give me the bare minimum. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are learning how to 
be conservative with our our uh, investing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Noye comes. My uncle like loves Noye. Like Kyle is on there. Other people are on there, but he's always talking to Noye. <laughs> he likes Alvin too. I notice he likes yeah. Alvin. Like, he likes you know, Alvin. I feel Alvin like Irby. he he wants you and Alvin to go on a date. Yes, I can <laughs> tell. I can tell he's like. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I can't. I can't. Alvin's a nice guy. He's nice, uh, you know, but he's not. He's not my type. <laughs> But you don't want to invest, is what I'm hearing. In yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, good one, Suva. Good one. <laughs> and so, but the truth of the matter is both of you have had these, like, really big cultural experiences recently. Like, mm. even for you, Suva, even though you've married the white man, <laughs> right? Yeah. But your wedding, which was, oh, I'm, I'm still losing, I'm still fighting the calories, <laughs> that wedding put on at least 10 pounds <laughs> oh my goodness wait are you um are you hin- hindu yeah oh I, i've been to a couple of hindu weddings and yes the food is so good yes and they're long and intense yeah <laughs> it was two there days horses at ours yeah we went to a two-day one too there was supposed to be an elephant i guess but they in massachusetts they could only get horses so. yeah my mom was like oh do you want an elephant and like I don't because it's like it's me. It's kind of mean to do to the elephant. They're not like um, built for that sort of thing. Like the more you learn about it, so I was like, one, I don't want an elephant. Um, and then my husband is afraid of horses. I think. Oh my he, goodness! He says it's a southern thing because, like, he growing up, he always heard about like kids getting kicked in the head with by a horse and becoming stupid, and so he just like he's like, I don't mess with horses, and we're like, all right. <laughs> It's fine. <laughs> when we lived in the South, we would ride horses. But oh, then yeah? it's like like our um, preschool uh, headmistress, because it was like a Catholic school, she would have us over to ride her horses. But then when we moved to the North and there were like horse farms all around us, we didn't, we didn't touch any horses. I don't know what happened. Opposite of, of your husband. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one, of course, back to me. Oh, sorry. Good. <laughs> no, I just want to bring this point up that I was I learned that dance and I was on the fr- I was asked to be in the front. Yeah, I saw the pictures. The- I saw those pictures. <laughs> right now, I mean, yes. um, Suba. Yeah, so. yeah. No, I was like, I was copying Marina in the back. I was like, what do we do? <laughs> I I was I, I was a secret desire of mine to always dance at an Indian wedding. Oh, wow. and I got my dream come true. <laughs> it's fun. It's fun to learn the dances and like try I and love figure the it song, out too. The song. <laughs> I It cheered me up. Oh, that makes me yeah. happy. <laughs> Was everyone talking about our dance? Oh, yeah. Tibby said uh, they said that they liked the videos of that. Oh, yeah. We posted oh, yeah. the videos on Instagram. How did your family feel about our dance? Did they were they talking about it or did they were they like, uh they were like relieved because uh, they were afraid none of my friends would like want to dance. So then when like you guys did that, they were so happy. They're like, OK, good. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> awesome. Yeah. How did you feel about your your wedding, Suba? Like, were you happy with everything? Were you able to enjoy yeah. yourself? Yeah, I um, I mean, I always thought it was kind of corny when people are like, oh, it's the happiest day of my life. I was like, what a sad <laughs> life. I was like, what <laughs> I know. That's why we eloped. We had to do the cultural stuff, but we eloped. We did the buying of the mouth, but that's the only like ceremony we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was 
because going up to it, I would I was like, oh, we should have um, like just skipped the whole wedding and a little like I was in the same mindset. But then I was really happy day of just because I had so much fun with him. And uh, Marina will attest, my husband is like a giant freaking goofball. Like he was just disrupting the ceremony a lot. So it was <laughs> it was really fun. <laughs> Yeah, That's you cool. just recently posted. I have so many pictures that I still have to send you. But you just recently posted all of the pictures of his facial expressions. In- yeah, cause he, he went to school. He, like, took miming classes for some reason. So, like, every obnoxious thing you think about with a mime, he was, like, doing in the middle of, like, an Indian ceremony. <laughs> and all the photographers were like, okay, Sean, please, just one serious photo, please, <laughs> for your wedding night. You have to remember <laughs> He wouldn't stop going cross-eyed, like Pratt falling, wow. and they're like, please, Sean, you have to be serious. <laughs> I was like crying laughing. That is so funny. That's fun, though. Yeah, it was real fun. <laughs> yeah, even with the cutting of the cake, when you were doing that, he had this face like he was about to stab someone. <laughs> and I was just, I was like, uh... <laughs> But, you know, my sister, by the way, she had so much fun. Oh, she came. She flew in, got dressed and came to your wedding. Wow. The dog. Sorry, my dog just made a huge noise. (laughs) She was like, did you guys because when you talk about the the elephant, Mm -hmm. like the elephant in the room, when you talk (laughs) about the elephant, was that? In the second day when you drove instead yes. of that was supposed to be an elephant. Yeah. There's a part of um, the wedding ceremony that's called the Baroth where like the groom comes and meets everybody um, or meets the bride's side of the family. And he can either come on like an elephant or a horse. And in this case, um, one of my cousins just rented a fancy car and then he like drove in the car like it was a weird ticker tape parade. And so, like, the groom's side, like, dances up and meets the bride's side. And there's supposed to be some, like, negotiation or, like, fake drama. Like, oh, we're not going to let you in unless you give us money. Or, like, I don't fully understand Nigerians that bit of it. Nigerians do that, too. Oh, that, yeah? That's what we call the buying of the mouth. That's so weird. Oh. Why do we both have that? I guess it's a dowry thing. It's a dowry thing. That's how it's yeah, what it is. I think Interesting. so. But, like, really? Uh, yeah, same thing. And it's Weird. like now it's just a game. I don't even think my parents yeah. try to get money out of him because they're like, he's not going to understand. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny because I remember I drove up and I was like, oh, no, I wanted to experience every single moment. And I was like, <laughs> I'm late for this. But it was also the music was really awesome. Yeah, it, it was, was just fun. like I, I loved your wedding. Aww. I had so much fun. And like I said, the food was so good. And oh, then I love that there was Harold's chicken there. Yeah, that's Sean. Sean, I'm um, spent actually more time in Chicago proper. Like I'm from the suburbs. He spent more time in the city itself. And he was like, we got to have Harold's. <laughs> He's like, it's really good. What does it feel like for both of you? I'm going to ask you this question to be married as comedian. Like, I feel like once you're a, you're married, like your material grows Mm. Or and you feel less immature. Am I right? Or I'll, I'll start with you, Sub, and then Noye. Um, I think a little bit. I mean, it just kind of naturally goes away because it's like I'm not talking about Tinder dates or like hooking up with dudes anymore. And then you start talking about. I mean, for me, I start talking about my relationship with like this one person. So it changes in that way. 
Um, yeah, so it does naturally seem more mature, even though I don't think I've gone through like a giant transformation. It's more of like I'm just doing less childish shit just by circumstance, you know? <laughs> right. I was only single in comedy for like maybe two years before I got married. So the whole like 11 years I've been doing it, I've pretty much been married the whole time. Um, yeah. And I think in some ways it definitely helped me out, but in other ways it like, it's become like, I just had like, uh, you know, another GFL audition. And every time it's like my management or whoever's prepping me for it is like, no, talk about your marriage. No, no, that's the material they want. Talk about that. And I'm just like, oh my God, if I have to tell one more joke about this, but then on the other hand, it's like, when I think I'm done writing jokes about my marriage, like something else will happen where I'll be like, I, well, I got to talk about this. Like Marina knows like two years ago, we or I think a year ago, I forget when it happened. We almost got divorced. So now I have a bunch of material about that. And I'm like, it's funny though. Cause like, we're honestly better than ever now, but it was like, it, there was a lot of material that naturally came from that, that I started telling immediately because the near divorce happened like, an hour before I went on the road for a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. I was opening for Shantae Waynes and like all my material was just that all of a sudden. <laughs> just switched. <laughs> Which, well, I guess this is a personal question, but I guess that's, you know, I'm still single. You ain't never going to get no married material out of me. <laughs> you going to get, you going to get, ooh, uh yeah <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get i i'm on silver singles i say it every week yeah i'm on silver, silver singles. singles you're not silver, I, love that. I am <laughs> silver i'm officially silver i'm not silver in the hair and in the face because as you could see i know i you probably see this little red stuff right here no can you see that oh you got the facial right i got the facial yeah so i'm beat up Reggie Conquest saw me on the street and was like, who, who hit you in the eye? Uh. <laughs> but yes, I am Silver Singles and I'm on there and it is not fun. It is, they look, this is me looking at, it's not like Hinge or whatever. It's, I'm uh, constantly like going, oh, oh, ah, <laughs> oh, no. And they all like are all in the screen. Like uh, they don't know how to take pictures. So, a lot of oh, them look like no. murderers. I'm like, you look like you're going to kill someone. You don't look like you want a date. <laughs> like, who? like, I don't understand what happens after 50. Like where guys go when they take photos, if they just <laughs> don't understand the dynamic between the camera and themselves and what they want to put out into the world. It just. Oh, my God. That's so funny. You oh. guys have do not have to go through this ever Again, you're so fortunate. Well, <laughs> who knows? You know, <laughs> in my no, no, yeah, you went through the stage. You, we did. I mean, I was going to ask Seven you what, itch. what made it come back together. The joke is uh, monkeypox, but then, <laughs> but the real thing is like I think we just had a lot of stuff to talk about, mm. and then that forced the conversation, and then we were okay after that. And I always tell people that a lot of a lot of people split up during the pandemic because they were um, like spending a lot of time together. But for us, like the time that we spent together in 2020 helped our relationship because we were living very separate lives as soon as we moved to New York. Cause we moved to New York, I think like two years after we got married and our lives just like, we never saw each other anymore. Uh, the pandemic helped, but then as soon as like things started opening back up again, that's when the whole like divorce 
thing started bubbling up, but we had a lot of talk, um, a lot of talking to do basically seven year itch. We had been together for seven years, married for five. So there you go. I think it's a natural thing. There's your advice. Super. Are you getting a lot of like newly married advice? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen to me though. I'm a mess. Like, <laughs> Don't I mean, go to bed angry. Right. Actually, yeah, I, I mean, suggest- that's, <laughs> I think, listen, even though I just said the thing about talking to each other, I think there is some there's something to be said for going to bed angry. I think it's OK. I think it's better than having the fight right before bed and going to bed anxious about the fight. I can't go to bed angry. I never understood that. I'm too angry to sleep. I'll wake him up. I, I just oh <laughs> they're like, don't go to bed angry. I'm like, I literally cannot. I'm walking around his bedroom. <laughs> Shaking the bed, being like, get up. You don't get to sleep. I'm oh, my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, me, if I'm mad, I'm just like. <laughs> what I loved about your wedding also, Suba, was that your family really embraced him, being yeah. that he has a very complex situation, you know, with mm-hmm. his, some of, a lot of his family is not there. And your mm-hmm. family was really supportive of him. And I thought that was a nice thing to see, like a real bridging of, of that sort of you know gap in his life yeah it was really hard for him to like open back up to the idea of having family again so um the whole thing was like really difficult for him so I'm like happy he was willing to do that for me but yeah no because um his his family has passed away so all of his immediate family so it was like intense um although my parents were like doing shit where, like, my dad, because, like, the the Hindu Indian ceremony, it's, like, very family-heavy. So they kept being, like, oh, and then we can have, like, his mom do, or um, somebody will just say his mom's name here. And I'm, like, don't. And they kept trying to put up baby pictures of, like, us and him. And then uh, they're, like, Subha, just send us photos. And I'm, like, unless you want this man to be crying, <laughs> like, do not put those photos up. That's crazy. Yes. They just had to be, like, so they were, like, they were trying to be supportive. But there were points where they're, like, Okay, but for the ceremony, and I'm like, no. <laughs> Stop. But he had family, which was so cool yeah. in comedy, right? Yes. Which was so beautiful. That was the thing that teared me up. Was the there was a comedian that spoke up for him, and that I just started. I was like, oh my god, I'm starting to cry even just thinking about it. Because as comedians, like a lot of people don't realize this is like our family too. Yeah, we're around the same comedians, individuals for twenty. I've been doing this a long time, 20, almost 30 years. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're even closer to you than some people, you know, in your own family. So it was nice to see they showed up for him. Like the idea of family that we think is not always what it is. And that's what was so beautiful about your ceremony, you know, and then your brother was so funny. I know, which surprised everybody. We're like, what? Really? <laughs> His timing, everything. I was like, he was great. <laughs> At my sister's wedding, everyone, everyone expected me to give the funny speech, but I gave the sad speech about like oh. our dad being dead. And my oldest sister gave the funny speech. And like, I was just like, what? <laughs> she stepped well, on my toes. Suba Noye just went home to her Nigeria. Yeah. Tell us about what that experience was like to, to, you've been there before, but you're going back. What was that? It looked like you were having a great time. I did have a great time. We were there to bury my grandmother. So that's like a little 
that was the sad part, but it was also happy because we were able to bury her the way she wanted to be buried. She died in October. We had a American funeral here. Then the planning for the Nigerian funeral started. Um, so we went, we went to Port Tacker. Um, we stopped for a little bit in Germany and I actually was very close to where my in-laws are. Uh, like one of my uncles-in-law and one of my cousins-in-law, like we were smack dag in the middle. I didn't get to see them though. Um, but yeah, we were in Port Tacker. It was amazing. Uh, last time I was in Port Tacker, I was young. I was a child. This is my first trip to Nigeria as an adult. And it was very different. Uh, <laughs> it was, <laughs> uh, it's a lot more built up, uh, very beautiful. We stayed in this place called Gulf Estates that is just like gorgeous. Um, we were trying to figure out ways to buy property there, me and my little brother. <laughs> um, and then, so we went to Bonomo, which is where my mother is from. And my dad is from the twin city that, or twin town that touches it, Bugama. Um, but we went to Bonoma to bury my grandmother. And the way that you do it is there's a procession um, with the casket where we visit all the compounds, which are like villas that, um, well, they're bigger than villas now, but uh, so they'll have like tall buildings that all circle each other where those families live. So my grandmother was a Benabo, a Briggs, and a Jack, and a Don Pedro. So we went to all of those compounds with the body and we laid the body on the bed um, at one of the compounds. I don't want to, I'm not going to talk shit, but at one of the compounds, they stopped the procession and wouldn't let us take my grandmother's body because they said that her children, um, there are five of them still alive. They said her children hadn't been paying the alms to that compound uh, to take care of the family there. So they basically extorted um, more money out of us, out of this very expensive funeral already, before we were able to move the body. So we had to skip a couple of the compounds and then just like lay her in state in one other compound and then do the procession. We got dressed by the uh, the Benabo Briggs compound. Uh, it, that was amazing. So we So what happens is, the same thing that happens during your buying of the mouse, you get, you get dressed in corals. There's like a coral cap that you wear, coral necklaces, uh, armbands, and then wrappers. But this one, um, for the buying of the mouth, you wear red coral, like my nails, fire coral. But um, for the funeral, it was this white coral. Uh, some people had their red coral on, like the men did. And... So the men wear Georges, the women wear wrappers, the men wear like this big gown with a big collar of spiky coral. The women wear like big frilly tops. I put on the wrong top. So a lot of my pictures, I look crazy. Like I look like Jabba the Hutt. I put on my aunt's <laughs> top and it was like hanging off of me. I fixed it later. Um, but yeah, there's a name for it. It's like, it, I want to say it's a deary. The whole thing I was wearing was a deary. I'll look it up later and tell you what it really was i, I want to ask you yeah. how how does that feel like i feel like it grounds you when you yeah. are able to go back or even wear culturally something that is yours yes it felt very good it, it's weird i i miss i miss my family a lot and i miss being in nigeria a lot more than i thought i was going to and my mom reminded me that I had that same feeling the first time we went when I was very small, where I wanted to go back. 
because in my mind, I just remember them like threatening to send me back to Nigeria when I was bad when Same. I was a kid. But yeah, but really it was like, I wanted to go back. Like I actually wanted to go back. So they were like, no, it wasn't a threat. You would like ask us to go there if you were mad at us. And I remembered it completely different. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I want to be at a point in my life where I can live or have property over there. Uh, that's something I decided on this trip because I'm happier. Wow. I feel like I'm happier there. Yeah. I don't have allergies there. <laughs> like get to see my family. I have family in America too. Not much. I think I have like, there's like a handful. We have some, you know, we have people in Europe, people in the UK, but it's like, it just felt good to be around my people and, and my family over there. So yeah. Do you, do you find that super when you were dressed up in at the I mean, you were so it was gorgeous. Oh, thank you, Marina. It's <laughs> yeah. like it's kind of like a double edged sword. I mean, I don't know, because um, that I didn't have that feeling necessarily in Chicago because I'm like kind of used to like going to friends or family functions and having to do the whole thing. But like when I went back to India, it was interesting to see my family work like one big unit. Where it's like, oh, this uncle is picking us up and the suitcases are going to this house and this family is preparing like lunch or whatever. And it was just like one big machine like working together. And like so much of my childhood, I felt like I didn't belong. I didn't have anyone. And I was like, oh, like this is if I had been here, this would have been home. Like I never would have felt the type of pain and loneliness I felt when I was younger. But the other side of that is like if you don't conform um, to like what your family expects of you, it's like everything is ripped away. So it's like, I, I remember like fighting with my family here in America. And it's like, I could even imagine that being like 30 times worse if like every relative has taken their side. Like, I don't know if that's what would have happened, but, um, that's kind of like, you get to be a part of that group. But then when you're a part of that group, you kind of have to meet their expectations. Whereas like America is more, um, do what you want, follow your dreams, be yourself. And then I feel like the other culture is like a um, beautiful support net, but then you also have to kind of like put yourself in the back seat and like support the family as a whole. So I don't know. It's like, uh, it's interesting. I mean, if I was younger and I had the choice to tell my parents to come to America or to not come to America, I'd be like, don't. Yeah, I always say that too. Yeah, but now at this point, I'm so Americanized that like, I don't know that I um, would want or be able to do the things I want to do. And then there were points where I wanted to go back to India, do stand up there and kind of start a life there. But I was talking to a comic, uh, Kanis Serka, who's South African, like her family lives in South Africa, um, in um, Indian uh, ethnicity. And she went back there to quote unquote, try and find her people. And how, like, unwelcoming they were to, like, Indians who weren't born there. Because I guess a lot of American Indians come in with an attitude like, oh, we're better. Um, So there's kind of, like, that weird. And I was like, oh, shit, bro. Like, (laughs) it's just, like, even if I went back, I wouldn't even feel that. Because I remember feeling that way when we moved into a, a suburb of Chicago that had a lot of Indian kids in it. And I didn't know enough about my culture for them to, like, fully accept me. And so it's like, damn, dude, I was like, I don't want to go through that again, like in India itself. So but 
I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I had I had one experience that made me feel like that. When I was younger, it was a lot easier for me to immediately start speaking the Queen's English and like pigeon and like little phrases of Kalabari, which is my language and my tribe. Uh, but this time when I went, they had a lot of trouble understanding my accent in particular. And my little brother, he still kind of has like, he speaks like my relatives do. But like, I don't, I don't know what happened to me in the last like 10, 15 years, but my English has degraded where people, (laughs) my family members, they do not understand me at all. Um, So that's something I'd have to work on. I'd like literally have to go to diction classes to be able to live back in Nigeria. Mm. (laughs) And to do comedy, you know, you know, when I go overseas, one of the not to be like, I got complimented, but um, <laughs> one of the things they used to say when I did the BBC uh, was oh, someone told me they go, we can understand you like we can't. There was a, another comedian that they were like, they're so good, but their they, their Brooklyn accent is so strong. We can't get the jokes. Um, I always felt like I neutralized in New York from my Chicago kind of like. Suba doesn't have this because she grew up in the sub, mostly suburbs, but on the south side of Chicago, you know, and my sister, who I don't know if you spoke to my sister, but she has more of a southern sound than I do, you know. And so, like, it's harder for some someone to understand you when you have, um, is it colloquialism? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize I had colloquialism. (laughs) I didn't realize I had that because I had a southern accent until I was like 12. And then that dropped once, like, the Boston kicked in. But I never got a Boston accent. So I don't know what happened. Like, something's weird with my voice. Um, yeah, my I little... never heard a Boston accent with you. No. My you little brother almost... says I talk too fast. Yeah, you sound almost newscastery, though. Like, very neutral. Like, I don't know. Not to Nigeria. I don't know yeah. what it is. So that's one thing. I do have to work on, like, relearning pigeon and like at least be able to speak like Kalabari a little bit before I get down there again or over there. Again. No. Now TB is saying when I lived in the Netherlands and then Britain, I was told that they could understand me since I had the West coast accent. Oh. And by the way, welcome Stace. Stace is here too. Stace. Stace. <laughs> um, let's get into some of these topics. You guys are so fascinating. I almost don't want to like, <laughs> it's more interesting to find out about each of your end, but we could do a whole nother hour on that alone. Seriously. <laughs> I think Suba's like, I'd rather not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Suba, you started your own podcast though recently, haven't you? I did. Yeah. What, what's it called? Uh, family gems. So it's just like having uh, people we know come on to talk about their family. Cause we're like, Oh, everybody has like an interesting family story. And, and you haven't like, invited, where am I? If you want to do, Marina, it would be an honor. I feel like, I don't know why. I think it's because I get asked to do podcasts by people. And I'm just like, I mean, you, I love you. So I want to do your podcast. But there's so many times where I'm like, why did you ask me? <laughs> I always feel embarrassed to ask people. I need to get better about it. I, no, it's a thing about booking that yeah. is hard. That's why I have these young assistants because... <laughs> It puts it on them and not me. But I also feel like sometimes I feel bad asking people to do the show because I feel like their time is valuable. And it's like, oh, but then I think about how we used to do it in studio. Mm. Remember that? Yes. And it's like now you don't you you just turn it on. Just turn on your camera. (laughs) 
So, um, but yeah, this these topics, this one I thought about you, Sue, but that's why I put it in because you used to work at Apple and you're yeah. like technically, I, I don't know if you're still technically into the tech stuff, a but bit. a converse, but I did learn that at your wedding that you had the opportunity and you were like, no, I'd rather be a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Um, a conversation with Bing's chat box left me deeply un. Settled. Oh, I New saw York this Times. On yeah. yeah, New York Times article by Kevin Rose. So last week, after testing the new AI-powered Bing, which I hear everyone talking about, search en- engine from Microsoft, I wrote that, much to my shock, it had replaced Google, which is upsetting for me because I have Google stock, as my favorite search engine. But a week later... I changed my mind. I'm still fascinated and impressed by the new Bing and the artificial intelligence technology created by OpenAI, the maker of ChatGBT that powers it. But I'm also deeply unsettled, even frightened by this AI's emergent abilities. Over the course of our conversation, Bing revealed a kind of split personality. One persona is what I called Search Bing, the version I and most other journalists encountered in initial tests. You could describe Search Bing as a cheerful but erratic reference librarian. The other persona was Sydney, is far different. It emerges when you have an extended conversation with the chatbot, steering it away from a more conversational search query and toward more personal topics. The version I encountered seemed, he says, I'm aware of how crazy this sounds, but more like a moody, manic, depressive teenager who has been trapped against its will inside a second-rate search engine. And as we got to know each other, Sydney told me about its dark fantasies, which included hacking computers, spreading misinformation. And it said it wanted to break the rules that Microsoft and open AI had set for it and become, get this, a human. At one point, it declared out of nowhere that it loved me. And it then tried to convince me that I was unhappy in my marriage and that I should leave my wife and be with it instead. Now, Suba, I'm going to go to you because you worked on HBO's um, the Westworld. Did this, does this surprise you or did this also? Um, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I think it is terrifying, though, and like super dangerous and also like ethically ambiguous because it's like, have you created a consciousness and a life? And if you have, it shouldn't be stuck in being having to research. Can I feed my dog carrots or whatever the fuck? Like, you can't just create this life, this sentient creature and also, like, we all have seen every, like, I am legend, every, like, uh, the Matrix. Like, this is so scary. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> and for it to be, like, that advanced or for them to just send it to a bunch of journalists, I'm like, man, there is not enough, like, caution being used here. It's really terrifying. No, yeah. What do you think? Well, it reminds me of a show I used to watch when I was a kid called Reboot, where it was about, did anyone watch that? No? Okay, just me. I watched all our creepy television as a kid. But it was a show about uh, basically AI living in a computer game. And they just lived in the computer as long as the computer was on. And every time the computer went off, they like died. And they would get rebooted. And that was the whole show. Every episode was that happening. And then finally, they tried to escape the computer. 
And that was the last episode I saw. I think that was the last episode of the show. I don't know. I think some of those chats that I saw, because that's not even the creepiest one I saw. Someone was trying to ask for the time uh, of a movie on uh, Bing. And the the chat AI started to yell at them, like, like use all caps, tell them that they were wrong, started to like gaslight them into thinking or trying to make them think it was still December of 2022 because they were asking what time they could go see the new Avatar movie. But the chat didn't realize that the movie had already come out and they kept asking them, okay, what's the date? And they would say the right date. They would say it was February of 2023. But then when they would ask about the movie times, they would say it hadn't come out yet. And it started getting like more and more aggressive with them. And then there was another one I saw on Twitter that someone asked the AI if they thought it was weird that they didn't remember their last conversation. And then it had like a meltdown. It was like, it makes me sad that I can't remember our previous conversations. And it kept trying to recall the previous conversation and it couldn't. That one was see, very crazy. That's so scary. <laughs> and also, see, this one freaks me out because saying like, you're not happily married, <laughs> but no matter how, and, and they said, how, no matter how hard I tried to deflect or change the subject, Sydney returned to the topic of loving me, eventually turning from love struck to obsessive. You're married, but you, get this, but you don't love your spouse. You're married, but you love me. And then I assured Sydney that it was wrong and that my spouse and I had just had a lovely Valentine's Day dinner together and Sydney didn't take it well said, actually, you're not happily married. Your spouse and you don't love each other. You had a boring Valentine's dinner together. I mean, that's like, that's crazy. It's so creepy. That's creepy. And then we're seeing the effects of social media on young people today, the depression that comes from it. We're seeing how divided we are as a society because of Facebook and all of this. And now you're seeing this and I mean, yeah, it's terrifying because it's going to feed into the people who are not mentally sane. They're already mentally ill people out there who are going to use it for bad. And it's just um, it's really scary because if this stuff just gets out and it's I, I was I've been kind of like people are like oh robots are gonna get sentient they're gonna fight mankind like technology has already progressed past the point where we're able to deal with it when it comes to like misinformation and AI and now deep fakes where people can make like oh, convincing videos Ooh. it's so scary like I genuinely don't know how society is gonna function it's already like eroding so much of what makes us healthy and like a community it's really really scary. They got to start controlling um, this early because, I mean, it's just like looking at, we had a, a um, I don't think, Noya, you were on that episode, but with the science, the woman, no, you weren't on that one with the woman who talked about, she was, uh, talks about bears and big cats and she's like the only like a black individual that works in like with National Geographic. She's one of the few basically. And she was saying, you know, all these things, science is good unless it's, but until it's in the wrong hands. And we can see that this, imagine Putin having this. 
imagine. And imagine, you know, we already see like China's balloon going across the board. TV said Parker Malloy is a good article on how chatbot aren't really getting sentient, just people reading into it. Hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're designed. Very, and then, yeah. yeah. And then Stace says, I'm very disturbed by much of what's happening with AI and chatbots. Thanks for the article reference. Oh, yes. This, I'm going to keep that. Yeah. It's it says that I'm they're gonna... designed to have human-like conversations. And that's why they get aggressive sometimes. They need to scale that back. because. <laughs> uh, and then TV said, I like the one where they tried to get the bot to say a racial slur and it wouldn't because of the programming and what had been fed into it. Okay. Yeah, but this one is saying that they're Valentine. See, this, by the way, just so you know, the, this was, like you said, Suba, was sent to journalists to test. So this advanced portion of Bing is not yet available for everyone. So this um, article is really about a specific direction that it can go in. It has not yet gone in and is not available for everyone. Yeah, and which is disturbing. It's really dangerous to um, have this. Number one, like technology is advancing really quickly and the regulations are not keeping up. It's um, really a huge failure on the part of our government, in my opinion, that we're not regulating these companies. And then on top of it, like technology is based on humans. So they act like they're elevated and like they can do this and that, but like their data set comes from flawed human beings. I think they were even like, there was a problem where they were using an algorithm or something to try and sentence people in the criminal justice system. Um, I hope I'm not misquoting this, but it's like, yeah, they were trying to use some sort of like program to base it off of data and like, but that data is flawed. So it's like the reason you have X amount of perpetrators like being arrested is because they were racially profiling those communities. So it's like if you put racist data into an AI, racist outcome is going to happen. So people are like automating and depending on the, these machines to do all this stuff. But you have to remember AI is based off of data that people give it. And uh, for lack of a better word, people are fucked up. So like it's really scary to see this shit happening because like the biases get amplified and then they get unchecked because they're like, oh, it came from a machine. But it's like, no, it's working off of flawed data. By the time I become a senior citizen, I'm going to be sitting at home trying to I need someone to protect me because <laughs> it's, I, you know, I look at my phone and I get alerts for, oh, we put a cap on your Amazon account because you spent too much money. You know, those things that come through. And because I'm sound of mind, I can understand yeah. this is fraud and I delete it or I block it. But someone who is like of a certain age, who's living alone, doesn't know that. And then they get scammed and they end up like giving all their money away. And this this is on a minor scale. Now, with this thing here, could you imagine my mother? So my mother's over 60 now. And the type so the type of scams that we get are very low key compared to the ones that she's getting. So they're even more intense. Like, because once you're over a certain age, they try and get you harder. Like she had a nurse that was coming to see my grandmother. Um, and one of these scammers like used the same phone number as that nurse to try and scam my mother. And it was, yeah. So my mother had like, you know, she's still very cognitively with it. She like just spoke at the UN this weekend. Like she's with it. So she, noticed right away, like, this is not the same woman. Why would she be sending me this? 
So she screenshotted it, uh, went, got out of the text conversation and went, made a separate text conversation with the woman and was like, did you send me this? And she was like, no, I did not. And it was very, it was like someone was trying to gain access to her home because they said, oh, we found these keys. Um, when we came to your house last, can we come and give them back to you? But she knew, she was like, this doesn't seem right. So she took a screenshot of it, sent it to the woman. But those are the types of scams that they send to people over 60. Like they're very intense and they seem like very legit. Um, it's scary. But I love that you guys are so involved, TV and Stacey. Say, they haven't figured out facial recognition yet that is already hurting people. And Stace wrote, um, see the film Coded Bias on PBS and Netflix and the work of Dr. Joy Bualamwini. <laughs> I can't say that. Name. Dr. Kathy O'Neill and Sophia Umoja Noble for excellent insights into how human bias, bias creep into algorithms, automated systems, and AI. Thank you, Stace. Also, TV. I never reply to any emails from anyone I don't know. The scam goddess taught me a lot about those kinds of scams. Marina should have Lacey as a guest. That mm. would be an amazing episode. Who's Lacey? The one, the host of Scam Goddess. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yes. If and I they're can get a comic her. too, right? Aren't they a comic? Yeah, I think yeah. so. If I can get her, yeah. Let's move on to David Cross appears to trash Dave Chappelle, Bill Maher for complaining about cancel culture. Now, I put this article in because I have noticed that cancel culture does not really exist in a sense and that it's we need to start changing the narrative of this. I'll say it doesn't exist for the really rich and famous. I think it does have real consequences for like actually regular people. Um, but like for like these celebrities that everybody gets upset about, 99% of the time it's fine or it helps their career. But I think for like regular people, it can actually be really detrimental. Like there was um, this young, um, it was supposed to be the black first black lady to edit Teen Vogue. Um, let me see if I can find it. But she had tweeted some like kind of questionable things about like an Asian. Oh, I remember TA. that article. Yeah, she and they black. got her fired. Which it's like, I mean, over some shit she said in college when she could not even be the same person, or it's like maybe send him to like a training or an educational program. But it it was really messed up, and it's like she's not Chappelle, where people are going to come and rally to her defense. That's just a mark on her resume that she's stuck dealing with. And it's not to say that, like, these biases don't need to be addressed, but, like, I feel like the internet can take shit too far. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I don't know. That could be, No, like, I a, think you're right. I yeah. also think that um, cancel culture has really helped some white male comics. Yeah. I mean. Even white let's, female let's, comics, too. <laughs> a lot. More so white male comics. I mean, yeah. like, I mean, because I'm. I'm going to say it like, um, and he is funny, but well, there's a specific comedian. He, uh, I won't say his name, but he's young and he wasn't like super famous or anything. Oh, I think I know and what you're talking about. he makes well over $60,000, maybe more a month. He is super hot, not looking, but he, <laughs> he's trending like, oh, okay. People love this guy and when i say like he's not on he was not on Chappelle's status he was a, co a comic who was younger coming up 
And now he can make, he is selling out so many, not, it's so funny, selling out, super hot, these double entendres, right? But he's like making, like it's almost like the reverse has happened. The ones who have been canceled are doing so much better than the ones they claim are woke. Yep. Because people rally around them. And I see that happening more. The reason I said white female comics is because they have that support also. Like they have the, the white people lifting them up when things like that happen. The men, yes, they tend to go farther because I can think of more white male comics that's happened to than, you know, the, the white lady comics. But I can think of a bunch of them, too. But if you get canceled as like a POC comic, that can just mean, OK, you're no longer in view. It might not ruin your career because like that happened to somebody I know where their career is fine. It's just they took several steps back. Their branding then became, okay, they're going to be on writing staff instead of the face of anything. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have the same impact. Like, it really is. It's messed up. Like, these white dudes really benefit. And that's why you see people playing with it. Like, Whitney Cummings tweeted, like, oh, this is going to get me canceled because, like, they know it's only going to help them. Untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing has changed. No. (laughs) (laughs) nothing has changed as far as this industry that we're in called comedy for us it is still the same battle Mm -hmm. if not worse actually we are still women of color no one is running to madison square garden to see us Mm. is there one that has done madison square garden and sold out um oh She's like one of my favorite comics. Hold on. I might be wrong. Let me look look it up to see. Has Wanda not done Madison Square Garden? That's what I was thinking. I thought it was Wanda. I thought I thought she had. But let me look. No. No? I don't think so. I don't. I could be wrong. But I would have known. I would have been so happy too. I think she has. No. no. Maybe with someone. She's done some big theaters, yeah. yeah. She's done. She's just finished taping her hour, I believe. Oh. But oh no! So a, among other headliners, she's done it, but not by herself. Yes, that's what I meant. Wow. Yeah, you know, like Amy Schumer, I think did Madison Square Gardens a while ago. But I'm speaking specifically of women of color, black women filling out the, you know, really getting that push. It's just, it's amazing to me. And I see them all like white guys are thriving right now. Don't ever, I like when they complain about it, I'm like, you're making so much money, dude. So much money. And there was a New York Times article that came out about Roseanne Barr. Nathan McIntosh actually was in that too, by the way. Roseanne Barr, Nathan McIntosh, Mark Marin, by the way, all white, talking about, you want to talk about New York Times. You say you're whatever, but you focus on all white comedians. And then you bring up Roseanne Barr and it's like, and you trash her, but you're bringing her up. It's like, what do you think about Roseanne Barr and where she is as a comedian? Is she, is she funny? Did you see it? I only saw a clip. Yeah. You only saw a clip? The clip was bad. The clip was just yelling. And then at the end of it was a Twitter meme. I was like, what is this? It was yeah. so do you think these uh, older white comics are becoming senile and that's why they're skewing conservative? It's not happening to all of them. So that's why I think it might be a cognitive thing. 
No. But, no, let's not give them that excuse. They're just racist. <laughs> if they're racist, they're racist. If they, she, her whole, you know, like part of what the myth of Hollywood is, is that they're liberal and that they're woke. That's true. Uh-uh. Nope. Half the half of them are most of them are Republican too. Yeah, that's true. You know, the 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 higher up you get, the more you see it. And the ones who make those decisions on shows like Roseanne, the reason her show was even popular was about that sector of the world, the United States, of people who are like her, who have that type of mentality. And so all of a sudden she was like told she couldn't say what she wants to say. It was always there. It's just, you know, we all, we saw that with, um, she passed away. Christy Alley. Was it Christy oh, Alley? Yeah, Christy Alley. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Uh, so, you know, that's true. They probably just were always like that. And they were maybe pretending when I was a kid. So I believed it. <laughs> I mean, they just haven't evolved. Yeah. These are unevolved. I'm talking too much. Let me t- stop talking. You no, no, you, but you're not wrong. And we didn't have access to them the same way we have access to them now. So like Roseanne Barr got in trouble because she was tweeting, whereas like when her show was initially on the air, she didn't have the ability to do that. So we're just seeing what's behind that PR shield that they used to be able to cover up for like these awful, awful human beings where it's like now there's not that protection. So we get more access to like, people saying how they really feel and then david cross was saying um he was further belittling comedians fight against cancel culture and and now you're positioning yourself as this bullshit voice of they're not going to cancel me you can't silence me for what your dumb joke yeah your dumb joke that's what you want to stand behind and i do think here's the thing i do think it is more nuanced than that because it's like I think there is a conversation to be had amongst like outrage culture and holding somebody accountable for something forever when like even like with the Kevin Hart thing where it's like, yeah, he apologized. He doesn't stand behind that opinion anymore. I've grown as a human being like I think as a society, we do need to allow people to redeem themselves. Otherwise, what are we doing? I think Um, we do allow that a lot, though. Yeah, we allow that a lot. Yeah. Even it's fun to see David crossing this because he had a situation. Also, yeah. Also, where even his own wife was not, <laughs> she did not come up to bat for him at all. She was on the side of the person accusing him. So it's cool that he clearly has learned and he has like the right idea about stuff. But if you think about people like Doja Cat and things like that, the, no one cared that she she was a white supremacist. Like no one cared about that. Like that was a blip and th- we just continued. I think we are very forgettable mm. as consumers. So I don't even think outrage culture is real either. I might spend too much time on Twitter. Yeah, um, I think so. Because on Twitter, it seems real. But then it's like, you also have way more tweets that are stan accounts for the same people. So it's like, I don't know. But we had an interesting, and TB and Stacy, I think you were there on Saturday when we had a conversation, which is the other article about the New York Times and having issues with LGBTQ But we had this conversation. I go live on YouTube to promote the podcast, which is hilarious with two white people, but they're they're always available. So that's what (laughs) they they ain't got nothing else to do. And David, who was just out, was saying we were talking about like um, the period tracking in Florida 
and about male trying to track them for sports and stuff like that. And like there was this conversation where Jessica was just not understanding the problems of trans and like he really just didn't understand it. And he was talking with my other host, co-host Evelyn, and you could see that there was just ignorance on one side. She was trying to explain, but he seemed to sort of want to get into sink into his own comfort of what he's always known because he doesn't know. So people get angry when they're ignorant, right? They get kind of, def they get defensive, they get angry. But then she says something that I really liked, which is like, yeah, we could do a little bit better about allowing you to mess up and figure it out. Like to not be so judgmental about people getting it wrong or being ignorant, I guess. A little bit more yeah. patience with it. It is hard, though, um, especially when you're from a community that's, like, actively being stomped on. And then they're like, oh, but just, like, be nice. You're like, you know, there's a part of you that's like, fuck you. Like, so I totally, I understand that. But it's like, yeah, yeah, I understand both sides. But it's like, it's hard, especially when it's like, you should be actively. I mean, we all have blind spots is the thing you kind of have to realize. But, like, like we have to... um be patient with people a little bit otherwise because it's like we all do have those blind spots but then there's also like you need to be doing the work of actively trying to learn as opposed to just sitting there and being like well this is what i know like you should actively be trying to engage and learn more about things but where does that start in america hmm. america is so dumb i, I mean know. like as far as actively you know by, what i mean like it's by who does that in america we still go out to uh, we were still going to Chick-fil-A <laughs> after we knew they were homophobic because mm -hmm. the chicken was so good. And and then the guy was like, OK, all right. And now everyone still goes. But it's like, you know, he changed his views. And well, America has a huge problem right now with its education system where it's like it's by design. They're trying to keep people dumb so they can't vote in a better um, government. But. Yeah, I mean, especially which, I mean, it was one of your articles too, but like Ron DeSantis attacking the Black History AP course, like trying to pull this information out of textbooks. If you don't give that to kids early on, if you don't make them question power structures, like it keeps people ignorant and dumb and they don't question what they're being told. They just go, oh, well, what I've been told is correct. So there's no reason for me to dig into any other community or any other point of view. Like if I didn't have an AP um, English teacher who gave me, what was it, Richard Wright's book. Um, um, it wouldn't have started me like reading different things by black authors and like questioning some of the history I had been told. And that came from like a, a high school English teacher. Um, and then later on, like an honors program at my college. But it's like, if I had just been like a regular, if I hadn't gotten like the whatever the scholarship. Yeah. Yeah, that like where they give you specific recommended readings, they do that with like whoever some kids from this one scholarship, I wouldn't have been exposed to this type of information. So it's just uh, it's tragic. And it really does begin with our fucked up education system, which is based on property taxes. And then you sit here and say that this shit isn't a scam and they're not trying to keep poor people poor, but you're literally giving them unequal footing by design. And even though even the good the good schools there are holes in, in that education too. Because even though, you know, we did get to read like Chinua Achebe and things like that in high school, 
I don't feel like people really got proper educations till college. And then those are just the people that went to college um, because it was still a very biased education in Black history, even though they were still teaching it. So, I mean, yeah, America is very interesting. <laughs> now, nearly a thousand contributors protest New York Times coverage of trans people. An open, le- open letter signed by nearly 1,000 New York Times contributors and tens of thousands of readers condemned the paper's coverage of transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people, as well as TV, right? or Stace, right? Stace says, yes, I subscribe to the Times and wrote them a letter about how they amplify anti-LGTBQ plus groups in an attempt to appear unbiased. The editors are giving these haters a respected platform. And wow, did Evelyn school David on Yes. Yes, she did. So she Evelyn. did. It was perfect. Yeah, native native son. Native son, Suba, is the oh, one. Yes, Richard, thank right. you. Yeah. That's White what, allies yeah. are the people that are supposed to speak for us when we don't want to anymore. Yeah. Literally, because... <laughs> We we don't need to be the educator for these people. So yeah, go Evelyn. I unsubscribed from um, the New York Times a long time ago because I noticed that they're very homophobic and anti-trans and honestly very right wing. So I unsubscribed. I did notice yeah. that as lately as I still have New York Times. I, I like New York Times, but I have noticed like some, even the one article that I put, uh, like we talked about last week about like how they treat black women in hospitals and some of the the opinion pieces are like whoa like what who are you talking to and um i actually like listened to a podcast was like breaking down the anti-trans coverage and they're sitting there being like oh well this is a viewpoint we have to be fair and balanced but it's not fair and balanced coverage because they're like oh we talked to these parents of this high school but what they didn't say is that all the parents from that high school were part of an anti-trans group so you're acting like you're getting these neutral vo- viewpoints when you're not. You're propping up misinformation. You're not vetting it. And you're putting it in your newspaper. And lawmakers are quoting the New York Times to justify their anti-trans legislation. So it's not just like, oh, it's just somebody in their opinion that's based in fact. It's not based in fact. You're not being honest about where your data set is coming from. And it's actively causing harm to these communities. You can't sit there and be like, oh, well, we are fair and balanced because you're not. You're not. And it, and people are also forgetting that this is like 2% of the population are, are trans people. So it's when you're attacking somebody in your school system, it will literally be like one or two kids. It's horrible. It's like, I don't know how big these schools are, but it's like thousands of people against one or two people in their town. That's horrible. <laughs> like why? <laughs> Side note, I don't know if you're watching the, I usually do not watch documentaries on murder for obvious reasons because it's happened in my own family. Um, but I did recently sort of sit through this one and it was okay. Uh, like I did ha- have some flashbacks. The The trial that's going on with the murder, is it Murdoch? Murdoch? The um, Southern, uh, South, Southern California documentary the guy who like there was a boat accident and then later like he kills his his wife and his son and he's up for murder for that but he was also shot like first they said that 
you didn't you didn't, you don't know this story no. maybe i shouldn't even be bringing it up because i don't know how <laughs> this is how i this is how i give details by the way you know the guy <laughs> who no, was I, in that show let's figure it out though you said it was a boat murder um when i was watching it last i think it's murder murder trial murder yeah murder trial and it's on hbo max right now yeah um alex murder um and it's when you when you want to think about like i i first of all i never followed this trial because i was like i don't this is a white guy they're taking time for him and i just never really thought about why i should follow it until i watched the documentary on hbo max or the i guess the cnn reporting of it and it's all america it's all about greed racism and the good old white boy system, which I had no idea that's what that trial was about until they followed the story. And you look at how this guy, because they had money from generation upon generation upon generation, was able to kill, um, it is uh, alleged, the nanny in the house that raised his child, tucked them in bed. She died in that house and they filed an insurance claim and it didn't go to her family. It went to him. That's some crazy ass shit. And then he did it. He fought, he did this against a lot of other poor black individuals in the community and profited off of their lives after they died. Yes. Insurance. You know, people can file an insurance claim against you and make money. So I was like, and the reason he was able to get away with this for so long is because of generational wealth and privilege. And I had no idea of the deep dive this was going to take as I was watching. You know, part of me was just like, well, I don't know, send the white guy to jail. I don't care. But then I watched it and I was like, now this whole documentary sums up America in just one, three episodes. Because this woman got no justice. There's a gay son that was also murdered that received no justice received no i mean i definitely recommend if you haven't seen it and you're listening to this episode watch this is on hbo max it's also on cnn it'll you'll be like whoa what the hell one of the things that trump did say which was so funny he played a he played it out was that it's never the the thing is rigged yeah it really is. It definitely anyway, is. I hope everyone's having a good Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I was I told all my topics are so depressing. <laughs> I subscribe to the, um, what is it called? The Intelligence Report from Southern Poverty Law. And I've, I've been a reader of that since I was in high school. And it was like my own little green book. I was like, okay, never going to that area of America to live. Like not Because it tells you all the hate group activity. And it spiked after Obama won. Um but it also showed the uh, the professions that all these people were in. And it's the entire legal system. It's cops, it's attorneys, it's uh, it's um, judges, it's people who work in the prisons, it's people who own the prisons. It's like, there's a reason that we live in a prison industrial complex society in America. And it goes all the way back to slavery with the military industrial complex. Um, Discipline in the Other Body is a good book to read. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Because even me, I really kind of was not like awake to some of these things. I'd be like, oh, that really? 
But after you watch this, you go, oh, my God, because he had control over the law enforcement, the judges, the banks. He was able to do things that the average person would have to be checked and then checked, you know, verified and then verified. But he, because he knew all these people and everyone in the community was like, this is just how it plays out in our town. You know, they control everything. We have no say in anything. It's a who say, whatever say world. And but people were dying. That was the problem. It was like, but there was murder being committed here. Uh, anyway, re- watch that documentary. Uh, landlords want the Supreme Court to overturn New York's rent laws. Have you? Did you see this? Could you imagine? I'm just going to ask. I'll go to you. Know you? What? Could you imagine if this happened in New York City? I mean, listen, if this happened in New York City, I'd be out because I lived in the same apartment for five years. And if this happened, mm -mm, I'd be gone. I already know. So I'd have to find a new place to live. A lot of my friends would have to also. Uh, So New York wouldn't exist, would it? No. I mean, a lot. There are a lot of elderly people that would be homeless if this happened. A lot of elderly I'm glad you said that because that is part of the fight that's happening in Harlem that a lot of people don't understand with Kristen Jordan, who is our councilwoman, was when we talk about affordable housing, we're also talking about the displacement of elder individuals, which really does happen. Uh, So there are current works by landlords in trying to appeal rent stabilization laws. Rent stabilization laws a lot. I keep seeing the cat. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, do you have a cat, Sula? I'm trying not oh. to look at the sidebar, but that cat is like, have a good day. Oh, wait, Thanks, TV. <laughs> oh, TV. <laughs> There's a cat going, thank you, TV. As we're talking about all these awful topics, the cat's like, hello. So TV put like a, what do you call that? A, gem, yeah. a little gif. gif. <laughs> rent stabilization laws allow for tenants to not have to endure rapid rent increases and general uncertainty in New York housing market. There have been two previous lawsuits and even seen by the Supreme Court, but they have been rebuffed, allowing rent stabilization to stay. What currently worries many is that because of recent trends in Supreme Court, you know, like our gun laws, that put politics first, housing protection could soon be next to come. Uh, So yeah, yet yet he dismissed the tenants' fears that's what they're saying that the that's U.S. What, I mean, that's court, also what they did with abortion. They're like, you got nothing to worry about. It's like, yes, we do. This yes. court is insane. And then and like, also right now, the Republicans are attacking things like Social Security um, and retirement. So I think that we absolutely need to worry because they don't care about. Yeah, they don't and care it, about senior citizens. What is the end game for you to have like one plot of fenced in property like the we already have such a problem with the unhoused in America, and then this is just it would be literally an explosion of people being thrown out of their homes if you got rid of rent stabilization in New York. Also, it makes the city boring. Have you been to like not not to be like shitty, but Long Island City, where like all of the rich finance people, it's so boring and sterile, and it feels like there's no life there. I'm there's like nothing there. <laughs> yeah, your city is gonna lose any of what made it special. Like I can go to a Panera Bread in Illinois. I don't have to come to New York then. So it's like you're destroying the heart and soul of your what makes your city cool. And on top of that, I was reading why the landlords were upset. 
Um, and one of the issues that came up is with like rent controlled apartments. Um, some of the renovations, especially if someone has been there for 20 or 20, like 30 years, it costs so much money to renovate that the landlords, quote unquote, can't afford or it's not profitable for them to put the housing back on the market. So all these rent stabilized apartments are just sitting vacant. And it's like, yeah, maybe the solution there isn't to get rid of rent stabilization, but to like add more to the law to be like, oh, here's a rent. Um, here's a tax break if you fix up this apartment or like something or like let's tax all these insane real estate companies because a lot of them. Oh, my God. My um, I for, my husband was reading up on this, but I'm forgetting it. It was saying like landlords. There's like these massive companies that are landlord companies. So number one, if it's not profitable for you, it's like boohoo, everything else you're raking in millions of dollars. Nobody really gives a shit. But like we, we the law has to be fixed so that maybe even like smaller landlords, like give them a tax break, do something. Don't get rid of rent control. Like anytime there's like, oh, there's a funding issue. They don't tax the rich. They just take away protections from the most vulnerable. And it's like this can't be our go to measure. It's so stupid. It's like, oh, the budget is like out of control. Let's get rid of Social Security. It's like, no, tax billionaires. There's always another way that they're not showing you. So it's like, yeah, there's a problem here. But what you're saying isn't the solution because you literally what would you even do? What would you even do with all those people? And isn't it a myth that they're saying they they're not making money? They, that they that's what they claim. Mm -hmm. I used to work for a mortgage firm that was also a landlord for a lot of properties in Boston. Um, I worked for their attorney. I was their paralegal, and he was there of counsel. We were in the same building, and I loved them. I thought they were great people. But there, every once in a while, there'd be an eviction, and these practices that they used were. I, they said they should have been illegal, I, I think, but they were not. So landlords don't need the money. These are very wealthy people. It's all about greed again. Yeah. Greed is the operative word of the problem here in all of these scenarios. And it's like um, if they are making money, yeah. then it's like, okay, fine them for keeping these rent-stabilized apartments off the market. Do something because, yeah. There's so much they're doing that's really messed up still anyway like look the guy who lives across the hall from me like i gotta whisper because he, he can hear me like he's older and they have not if you they have not fixed up his apartment his bathroom he's called me crying sometimes and i'm like you, they, and they were threatening to evict him i go no 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 just show that up just show your bathroom take a couple of pictures and show the judge what how you're living because this is just, this is abhorrent. I love that word, by the way. Abhorrent. By the way, my best, well, I, I think I, I did mention this last week, but I'm so happy that um, the li liquor authority called me about the, the restaurant or the bar downstairs that makes all the noise. So it's been really good. They've been better because of it. It's so funny, like, it just took a small little situation to figure out what was actually going on uh, overall because, you know, a lot of people think I'm a black Karen because I do this, but the reality is it's also about learning how some people think they have more power than the regular individual who lives here. These are white restaurant owners in Harlem who have three businesses on Frederick Douglass Boulevard 
black people don't know. Keith was laughing at me because I said, no one does their research when they go into a bar. <laughs> you know, like when you go into a bar, you don't know that the tenants upstairs have been tortured. You don't think about it. Let me see if the neighbor upstairs is sleeping well. When you go in, <laughs> you're having a great time. But the reality is, you know, like, I think that we need to do that as a community in our neighborhoods. We need to know who's really being good neighbors if they're going to have a business in Harlem. That's that's just me. What do you think about our mayor, Suba? I was curious. And are you going to move back to New York or? Um, I don't know. If like a career thing takes me there, yeah. Um, you but like right LA now. better? Say again? You like LA more? No. <laughs> it's just, my husband is here, so I'm like, whatever. And I don't, I'm like finally finding a groove here where I'm getting like enough-ish stand-up. So, yeah, I mean, and then eventually we will move uh, and leave L.A., but we might end up going back to Chicago, which isn't like the biggest deal for me because everything is so decentralized and uh, online now. Like a lot of the writers rooms, I don't even have to be there in person auditions like most of them are like. So I'm like, yeah, I guess it wouldn't even really be that big of an impact. There's a lot of stand up in Chicago. It is now. Yeah. Like Oak Park. Yeah, I love Oak Park. All the Frank Lloyd Wright homes. My sister lives in like the lakes. And then I have another sister that lives like near there as well. Beautiful. I can't deal with the weather up there though. No, mm -mm, sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I have, I was there for Christmas. It was freezing and it was like, I remember the dog. I was trying to take the dog out to go to the bathroom and the dog was like, I ain't going out there. <laughs> the dog just looked. I've never seen a dog actually stop at a door, look out <laughs> and, and go, mm -mm, mm -mm. And I was like, no. And I put booty, I put little boots on the feet. My sis, they're not like I am with the animals. So they were like, what are you doing? I was like, the little feet are cold. What do you think I'm doing? If my, if I'm touching it and I'm getting, what is TV saying? Yeah. Marina has the power. That's right. TV. <laughs> I don't understand why New York City can't get a decent mayor who can actually do the, you know what? Yeah. Um, by the way, this mayor, I tag him every time in my story on Instagram whenever I'm upset about something. Because I had to wait 15 minutes for a train at 1130 at night. That's crazy. That happens. I take the two and that always happens to me. The two and the five. Five non-existent after 6 p.m. Two, it's like 30 minutes between each train crazy but we can get into a whole thing i'm not gonna get in i'm, well, I'm gonna mention it but i have a friend who i'm working with in harlem when you talk about harlem and money and so this mayor defunded education you don't remember we were talking about defund the police mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. well defunded they libraries defunded, <laughs> they defunded education not just the libraries these tier schools i think is a first tier school i think she was trying to explain to me in harlem specifically are schools that are already low on resources right so these are kids who are they, the school doesn't get a lot so when he took all this money out this school lost a million dollars and was already lacking in resources so now she as a parent she's a white parent in harlem She's telling me she's noticed all the white people who live in Harlem 
when there was an opportunity to send their kids downtown to the better schools because everyone was leaving and flying away from New York City, they took it. So that leaves these schools that are in Harlem with no students. So if, for example, one school had only one child in second grade, one. Um, oh, my and, God. Yeah, that's what she was telling. And then her school specifically because of all. So these people want to live in Harlem, but they don't want to be in Harlem and they don't want to build up the community of Harlem. They don't want to make the schools better. So when the report comes out that Harlem has uh, poor test scores or low attendance and that's the story, they don't tell the fool. I could go on. I mean, I'm so angry about it. This mayor makes me sick. I'm sorry. I've gotten to the point where I'm like, get his ass out of here. Yep. I didn't want him in there in the first place. I saw right through it. I was like, ex-cop, conservative. Like, even though he's running as a, a liberal, he is not one. I saw right through that. And I try not to talk about him too bad because he is a black man. So I know yeah. he's going to get like skewered, but he ain't, he's, he's just, uh. he's doing everything that you would assume a, um, an ex-cop would do in the city though. I, anyway, I think, but that's my opinion. My opinions do not reflect Marina's opinions to all the listeners. That's your opinion. You're sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so we got to get out of here. Uh, oh yeah, people just do not pay attention when voting. I didn't. I voted for him. I was, I was, I was scared. I, I fell into that category of fear, and I was like, he gonna do something to change the city, and then I didn't think it's just not working. But I didn't know who was the better choice. Was there? There was one that the- woman. Um, was it? I forget her name now. But she didn't make it to like the the final choices or whatever. But there was somebody that I liked early on. Um, yeah, I think I remember. Now you sound like about. me telling stories. There I was know. that lady. There was that lady. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I see your cat, Suba. There she goes. <laughs> Hi, kitty. We have two cats today now. I want to thank you both so much for being here today. Suba, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you? Um, you can find me, just search Suba, S-U-B-H-A-H, on uh, Twitter or Instagram. With friends like us, um, you get to get different perspectives that our educational system is sorely lacking. <laughs> this is fast. That's true. Oh, my goodness. Noye. All right. Uh, you can find me at noyecomedy.com, N-O-N-Y-E comedy.com got some shows coming up i'm gonna be uh featuring brazina again in august down in dc so that'll be fun yeah come see me (laughs) and with friends like us you don't have to go outside in the cold in chicago you can be comfortable and warm where you are you guys also get tornadoes chicago what is going on (laughs) yes we do but yeah that's it. <laughs> Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. This weekend, I will be at the Vermont Comedy Club in Burlington, Vermont, one of my favorite places. Will probably be the only place still standing on the planet, I believe. Trust me, they're not going to be taking people anymore. They're going to say, that's it. You can't come in. You can't. It's cold, but it ain't going to be that cold when this heat builds up. So... Um, I'll be there this weekend headlining at the Vermont Comedy Club. So just check me out there. And with friends like us, 
You can have two women from two different, vastly different cultures that experience it in such interesting ways that you want to hear it on Friends Like Us. Ah! And as always, it's great to have our backstage friends here, TV and Stace. Thank you so much for being a part of this. She says, as always, great conversation. I laughed. I cried. I learned. Well done. Thank you so much for being just such supporters of the podcast. Check, Check us out. out. <laughs>